to our God with a harp. He covers the heavens with clouds, provides rain for the earth, and makes the grass grow in mountain pastures. We introduced this song uh, last week in communion, uh, during communion, and we'll sing it this week. My heart, your home. Search. 
This morning we will be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. I'll be reading from the ESV. Soon afterward he went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chesa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, who provided for them out of their means. May the Lord's blessing be on the scripture and Pastor Dan's message. You know, uh, I forgot to announce we have a thank you from the Deborah Thomas Learning Center for the hat and mitten drive. You know, it's funny. Sometimes things are right here in front of me, and I still don't remember, right, see them. We'll put that up on the, on the bulletin board. Uh, you know, back in uh, college, Amanda and I had some, uh, uh, we was with Campus Crusade for a little bit. We uh, was discipled. We got part of the group, some Bible studies and different things. And, and one of the things that we had a, a, a a privilege to do was go to their Christmas conference in Indianapolis, uh, where you'd kind of uh, bring in the new year finally with, with prayer. But uh, during the course of that week, they were very evangelistically minded. And one of the things that we were able to do was team up with local churches to take boxes of love into the community. A box of love was basically a holiday meal uh, packaged with the gospel presentation, right, if we were able to. And so we got teamed up with First Samuel Baptist Church, and particularly with the associate pastor, uh, he was an older gentleman, uh, very gentle, kind, uh, fun to be with. Amanda, anything else to add? Just, you know, what you would have interpreted as a seasoned saint. Yep, right, a seasoned saint, right? So, so we're teamed up with him, and we go out to the community, and we start knocking on some doors, and we end up at this one young lady's house, and uh, uh, we're sh sharing her the, the box, and while we're there... Uh, her boyfriend calls, and he wants her to come pick him up and bring her home. Well, she says, well, some people from the church are here, and that's all he needed to hear, okay? He's like, never mind. I'm not interested. I'll, I'll get home later somehow, some way, some way. It was clear that he didn't want anything to do with the people from the church, right? Now, her, on the other hand, after the phone call, she starts saying, yeah, he just got out of jail for drugs. He's back into dealing. I'm afraid he's going to get back into jail again. And, you know, if, if something else worse happens. So, so we're having this conversation in the house. And good old, sweet, gentle, sensitive, kind, friendly, old, seasoned saint, associate pastor from First Baptist Samuel's Church. He goes, he said, I'll come back and talk to him. He said, I know what it's like to do time. I did time for murder. And, you know, the group of us that was there, your mouth just kind of dropped off, and you're like, what? <laughs> right? Because deep down, we all, know, we, we all know everybody's got a past. But that was not the past you would have expected from the man we came to know. Now, if you think about the wonder of the gospel, think about the power of the gospel. Everybody's got a past, but that was not the past we would have expected from the man we came to know. Jesus Christ changes people. 
right? This is the power of the gospel and the power of the good news. Uh, you know, many people are quick to write themselves off. You know, uh, God could never use me for X, Y, or Z. I'm a nobody from a nowhere, or we might say even worse than a nobody from nowhere is I'm a somebody with some history. God could never use me. And, and oftentimes Christians write themselves off and they're like, you know, I just, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. But think about the people that Jesus radically changed. Think about the people that we know and uh, that we've met, that we've encountered, that people has radically changed. Now, for me, I, uh, I was born in the church, raised in the church, grown up in the church, never really walked away, right? But Jesus has changed me as well, too. It's just not as outwardly evident. He had a lot more internal work to do on this boy, right? Some people, it's more outwardly evident. Some people, it's more internally. But one way or another, right, he changes us. And, and so often, we, we're quick to write ourselves off. Well, God can't use me. Well, look at the people God used. You know, I want to say, uh, this guy by the name of Paul, I think he had some history. Kind of similar to the associate pastor. He was persecuting and killing Christians. And yet, look at the New Testament that we have written from his hand. Look at how God used him, right? This is part of the good news, and that is that whoever you are, whatever you've done, where there is repentance, God offers redemption, God offers restoration through faith in Jesus. And so when you think about the good news, right, failure doesn't have to be final. Mistakes don't have to be what defines you. Because in Jesus, we find both grace to forgive, but we also find the help to change. And we could say that the help to change is also an aspect of his grace, right? But it's kind of a two-package, right? He forgives, but he also changes us. Now, our text today is unique to Luke, so we're not going to have any harmonization. Uh, but there's a little bit packed into these three verses. So for those of you who are thinking, only three verses today, this is going to be a short sermon. <laughs> not necessarily. Don't hold your breath, right? We'll just see what all we get to. Uh, and this is version two, okay? So I'll give you a heads up. Version one, I spent all day Wednesday on and I didn't like it, right? So this is version two. So after service today, you might say, hey, let's go for version three, okay? And that's a fair point. That's a fair point. We, we, might, we might get there. But this is version two. Uh, so from the synagogues to the streets, Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So, so we start in verse one. Soon afterward, he went on through the cities and villages and he's proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, part of the good news or the gospel is take note who takes the initiative. It's not that we're reaching out to God and seeking after God. He's seeking after us. So Jesus has been going to the synagogues where he's not necessarily got that great of an approval rating anymore, right? And now he's going into the streets. He's going to the people where the people are. Now, if you think about what we see with, with Jesus all the way back from the beginning, this is what God did. He the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You can say literally, God put on our shoes so that he can meet us where we are. This is part of the good news, right? He meets us where we are so that he can bring us to himself. So if you consider the sinful woman of last week, the sick who have been healed, the demon who have been released of their possession, right? The dead who have been raised, the people Jesus has been offering forgiveness to. If you consider an associate pastor who was guilty of murder, God meets us where we are. Now, this is very critical, right? Because God didn't say, you know, 
You know, Roger, once you hit a certain educational level, then let's talk. Right? God didn't say, you know, Amanda, once you get so many good works under your belt, then I'll think about employing you on my team. I should have saved the next one for you. God didn't say, after you spend so many hours in worship, I'll speak to your heart, right? Think about, God meets us where we are, not where we should be. If, if God waited for us to get where we should be, we'd be waiting an awful long time. This is part of the gospel. He meets us where we are. Now, don't miss the magnitude of what Jesus said just a couple of weeks ago when we were in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. What did Jesus say? He said, come to me. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your past is. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, at this stage, as we're going through the chronological life of Christ, which is, uh, uh, at this point, actually, we're well beyond the longest series I've ever done. <laughs> and let me tell you, we've got a long ways to go, right? We've, we've, we've still got a long ways to go. I, t I told somebody the other day, I said, you know, I think when I started saving the files, it was like zero one because I knew it would be double digits, and it should have been zero zero one, right? Because uh, there's a lot of material to get through with the Gospels, right? So at this stage, we're seeing the opposition mounting among some, but we're also seeing growing support among others, right? So in our text, we see the 12 are now with him, as well as some women, right? So we have... Uh, Mary Magdalene, we have Joanna, we have Susanna, and it says many others. Now, isn't it interesting? Jesus is going around, and he's bringing the message of good news. And opposition is growing. Now, I, I, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but personally, I like good news. Anybody else like good news, right? I like good news. I mean, if you're going to bring me good news, come up, bring it on, right? I, I like good news. Why is opposition growing when Jesus is bringing good news? The problem is, the good news is that the kingdom has come in the person of Jesus, not that the kingdom is whatever you want it to be. That's why opposition is growing. The good news is, the kingdom is at hand, right? The good news is, the kingdom is near. The good news is, the king has come, right? The, bad, the, the problem with opposition is it's not the kingdom that everybody wants it to be. And one of the problems that we have and we still face it today is this tendency that we want to come to God on our terms rather than his. The good news is he meets us where we are. But we have to come to him on his terms. Right? We can't work our way to him. We can't earn our way to him. We have to come to him on his terms. And at this point, opposition is growing because, you know, Jesus is reaching out to some of the wrong people. Jesus has become a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Talk about meeting people where they are, right? Jesus, you've taken this a little bit too far. And so opposition is growing. And as I was thinking about this, you know, I thought for them the opposition is the scandal of grace. Right? For them, the opposition is God is welcoming tax collectors and sinners. And look at the people he's hanging out with. Look at the sinful woman from last week. Look at the social outcasts. Remember, Jesus is meeting people where they are. But this was part of the reason why opposition was growing, because Jesus is meeting people where they are. Look at the people he's meeting. And for them, that was a scandal that God would welcome sinners. Now, for us, I think we've kind of flipped it. So for us, it's not so much the scandal of grace. We're all too ready to say, 
God welcomes sinners. Our problem is the distortion of grace. We want to say God affirms us in our sin. That's the problem that we have in our culture today, is the distortion of grace, that God affirms me. The good news is not that God affirms you in whatever you think, however you feel, whatever sin you may be in. The good news is not that anything goes in the name of tolerance and love. The good news is we don't have to remain in our wrongful thinking. We don't have to suffer the consequences of our deceitful feelings, right? Because the heart is deceitful above all things. We don't have to continue in misdirected living based on lies and corruption because Jesus has met us where we are and he offers change. He offers us to be part of the kingdom. Now, isn't it interesting that when Jesus begins his ministry in John, or I'm sorry, in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Gospel means good news. If you don't know that, right? Gospel, good news. Good news is in gospel, same thing. So he's, he's proclaiming the good news of the gospel of God, and he's saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Does anybody know the next word? Repent and believe the gospel. Isn't that interesting, right? Good news, the kingdom is here. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance is part of the good news. The good news is not that God affirms us in our wrongful thinking and our corrupted living and our sinfulness. The good news is he says, I'm going to meet you where you are and I'm going to offer change. The good news is he makes us what we were made to be, right? What we were created to be. He meets us where we are, but he doesn't give us permission to stay that way. So the kingdom of God stands in contrast to the kingdoms of the world primarily because it's a kingdom of righteousness, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. Because as we think about Jesus proclaiming the good news, right, it's a call to be part of his kingdom and to submit to him as the king. So the good news is of the kingdom and it's a call to the king, right? It's a call to Jesus himself. So the verses continue. And the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others. So this, at this point, is Jesus' second tour through the region of Galilee. And the first, he was calling and assembling the 12. At this point, we see the 12 are assembled. The 12 are with him, along with some women. Uh, so this good news is the kingdom has come in Jesus, right? And, and it's confronting them, and it confronts us. Are we going to be part of it? Right? Are we going to be part of his kingdom? How are we going to respond to the king? Now, notice what the disciples aren't doing yet. They're not preaching yet. They're not healing people yet. We don't see them performing miracles yet. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, we don't really see them uh, as experts in, in prayer life, right? Uh, why? Because they're learning. They're growing, Right? They've joined Jesus on this mission, but they still have a lot to learn. Uh, so right here, what we see is the 12 were with him, right? First tour, he's collecting the 12, he's gathering the 12, he's calling the 12, now they're with him. The struggle we have in faith today is, and Dave kind of pointed this out a few weeks ago when he was here, is we want microwave Christianity. 
Right? We, we want to get to seeing the miraculous, and we want to get to profound and deep theology and preaching and thinking. We want to get to maturity in the faith without doing the time to get there. Notice what the 12 are at this point. They were with him. You want to know how to grow closer to Jesus? It begins with taking time to be with him. You want to understand better the faith? It takes time to be with him, right? How can we follow Jesus if we don't first spend time with him to learn of him and from him? So as we think about the disciples and where they're going to end up, right, that began with simply walking with Jesus and learning from him. Now for us, the 12, and I'm going to say at this point, since we have hindsight, the 12 minus 1 plus Paul, right? So I think that brings us back to 12, right? Yeah. Is that math, right? So for us, the 12 minus 1 plus Paul will become the face of Jesus' continued ministry. But I want to highlight, right, this very fact. Before they do these great things for Jesus, they first spent time with him. you got to have the foundation. Before they did great things for him, they spent time with him. Now, at this point, the disciples actually understand very little about the kingdom, right? In fact, as we continue to go through the Gospels, you're going to find Jesus is correcting them. They're asking, que they're asking questions because that's how we learn. At this point, the disciples actually understand very little about the kingdom. What they know is they're not only with Jesus, but they're with Jesus. Some of you are thinking, well, you just said the same thing. Well, not really. They were with Jesus physically, but they're with him. He has their hearts. Except for minus one, right? But he has their heart. They're with him. They believe in him. They're trusting him. They don't have all the answers yet, but they're following him because they believe there's something about him, right? And they're trusting him, and they're seeking to learn from him. Now, if you consider our covenant of membership, we've had the board out that you can sign the covenant of membership. Now, think about what that covenant says. I covenant to pray daily to study diligently, to worship weekly. What are we talking about with those things? Spending time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. The last part of the covenant, to give generously, teach boldly, serve joyfully, love abundantly. Time with Jesus is to learn of him and from him so that we can live like him. So we can answer his call. Come, follow me. That's basic discipleship. 101. You know, how many of us have looked at uh, other believers uh, that we've respected and that we thought highly of, and we thought, you know, that's a person of deep faith. I, w I wish I had that level of faith where I can be facing that, that trial, that season, and I can have the same kind of peace and joy they have. Or we look at somebody and we think, you know, there's somebody with a lot of scriptural knowledge. I wish I could I wish I could recite scripture like they do and had as much understanding of scripture as they do. Or we look at somebody like, now there's somebody with a lot of wisdom. I, I sure wish I had the same kind of wisdom they have. And we, we kind of look at them, we're like, well, I wish I had. And we don't think about what it took for them to get there. What did it take for them to get there? Time with Jesus. In worship. Time with Jesus in study learning from him, time with Jesus and prayer and fellowship with him. Notice in this text, this is where it begins, right? They spent time with Jesus. How many of you like to drive through? 
you know, I was, I was, I always hated the drive-through before the pandemic, right? I want to go in. I want to see people face the pandemic. Then I had this choice. I had the choice was, do I hate the drive-through more or do I hate putting a mask on more? And the drive-through won, right? So, so I'm like, okay, mask or drive-through, drive-through it is, right? So, so now new new habits have been developed, right? And, and but how many of us, how many of you like the drive-through, and why do you like the drive-through? It's quick. It's easy. It's convenient. You get in, you get out. Nothing interferes so much except for the long line if you're there at the wrong time, right? Uh, I, I think it was uh, the first year we went to Christmas, uh, Christmas conference, uh, Gateway Conference. And Robert Morris gets up and he says, you know, I was convicted in my quiet time of drive-through drive quiet times. It was all about quick and easy, get in, get out, move on with what you got to do. And, you know, to this day, that really stands out to me, right? Because how often do we treat time with God like a drive-through? When we think about what the disciples did, as we think about the ministry and as it took off, right, it began with spending time with him. Because before we can go out and do great things for him, we need to first learn from him and be with him. So the disciples at this point, they're learning of the good news of the kingdom just as we all have to do, right? They had that learning curve just like we do. Now, if you look at a couple of our core values, uh, you know, uh, as a church, right, the Bible's true and relevant. We believe the Bible is relevant precisely because it's true, right? This is God's word to us. This is part of the way that God meets us where we are today. It's where we learn of him and from him with the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. It's where we get insight into the character and nature of God. It's where we can discern right from wrong because there is such a thing as right and wrong, Right? We're called to love God and live like Jesus, but how can we live like Jesus if we haven't first spent time with him and learned of him? So this is part of the good news of the kingdom. Now, one of the other things that really stood out to me in this text, right, is, you know, so often we think about the good news of our salvation. And it is about our salvation, right? But it's more than just our salvation. Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Right? So it's good news to you, but it's more than just about your salvation, right? There's more to the good news than simply being saved. You're saved from, but you're also saved for. You're saved for the kingdom under the reign of the king. So he meets us where, you, where we are, he calls us to himself, and then he commissions us into his mission. So verses two and three, didn't think we could do so much on just three verses, did you? And also some women had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others, who provided for them out of their means. So meeting us where we are is not affirming us in whatever we think or however we feel, right? He meets, he meets us with repent, repent and believe, right? So he's going to call us to align our thinking with his thinking, our feeling with his feeling. We're to identify ourselves with him because we believe the gospel. Uh, so if you think about it, how is it good news if he doesn't affirm me where I am, right? Because this is where our culture is. It's only good news if you affirm me where I am, how I think, how I feel, what I want to be, you know, call me by whatever pronouns I tell you to call me by, right? It's only good news if you affirm me for, for who I am. How is it good news, right, if he's not doing that? You know, in the name of tolerance and love. 
If I'm broken, the good news is I can be healed. If I'm mistaken, the good news is I can be corrected. If I've sinned, the good news is I can be forgiven. If I've fallen, the good news is I can be picked up. If I'm heading in the wrong direction, the good news redirects me, right? God's grace hasn't written me off because of, of wrong thinking or wrong feeling or, or misguided living, right? It doesn't write me off because of those things. It meets me where I am, but it helps me get to where I need to be. How is it good news if it leaves me broken and in my sin and in my misdirected living, right? So as we think about Jesus' call, he calls to us to come to him and be changed by him, right? So that we can love God and live like Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit as we make a difference for him, right? He's calling us into his mission. So we have the 12 minus one plus Paul who are gonna become the face of Jesus's ministry but ministry is not limited to the 12, is it? It extends to the many. So if you look at the text, it says the 12 are with him and also some women. Now the kingdom is going to experience opposition, but likewise what we're going to see is the kingdom of God takes root in responsive hearts, wherever those responsive hearts may be found. This is kind of a nod to the parable of the sower, which is next up in, in the Gospel of Luke, right? The good soil receives the word and it produces fruit, verses 4 through 8. But notice what Luke does. Luke highlights for us that with the 12, we have the presence of some female disciples. Now, apologetics are more interesting to some than others, but I'll just say there's an apologetic here and the historicity of the text, right? Because what's the one thing that a rabbi wouldn't have had in this day and age? Female disciples. This is not a detail that Luke would make up because it was actually scandalous in their day. You know, the rabbis of the day wouldn't alone teach a woman, not alone let her be part of the disciples, the inner circle. Right, so this is an argument for the historicity of the account. Uh, of, the, uh, of the account. The kingdom of God is going to have some different values than the kingdom of the world, which is why there's some opposition growing. But what we see here in the text is we see the 12 and the women in Jesus's mission, right? Now, the point is not that the women did everything the 12 did. The point is, is they too play a part in the mission of proclaiming the good news uh, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God as they provide out of their means. So Jesus welcomes women among his followers. Female disciples are following Jesus out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for them. You know, really, discipleship isn't complicated, right? In gratitude uh, for what Jesus has done for us, we seek to be with him to learn from him and serve him as we're able. That's the example we see here with the, the female disciples, right? He healed of infirmity. He cast out demons. He, uh, and out of gratitude, they're seeking to be with him. So think about that argument that many of us come to faith with. Well, God can never use me. God can never use me. Well, let me tell you about an associate pastor who did time for murder. Or let me tell you about somebody else who gets special mention, Mary Magdalene. Now, what's the detail that stands out to you about Mary Magdalene? She had seven demons. Now, let me tell you, I don't know what that's like, but it sounds pretty dark and terrible to me. She had seven demons. She gets special mention. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. People have gotten very, 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 very imaginative with Mary Magdalene. Don't go out on an internet search and be like, well, Mary Magdalene is an apostle to the apostles and... 
there's a lot of made-up stuff on Mary Magdalene that has nothing to do with the scriptures, right? Uh, we have this gift where the Bible says little, we like to be very verbose. I was trying to think of some fancy word. That's the best I can do on the spot, okay? Uh, so sometimes people will link Mary Magdalene to the sinful woman of chapter 7, uh, that's not what the text does, and we can make arguments for that. So they make Mary Magdalene to be a prostitute. Uh, the text doesn't tell us that she was a prostitute, right? Uh, some people, uh, you can find all sorts of stuff on Mary Magdalene online. I'm, not, uh, I'm saying here's what the scripture tells us. The scripture tells us she had seven demons. Jesus got rid of her demons, and she followed Jesus. We see her at the beginning of towards his ministry. We're going to see her... Uh, faithful at the crucifixion of Jesus, and she's going to be the first witness to the resurrection. That's what we know about Mary Magdalene. Anything beyond that is going into speculation. That's what we know about Mary Magdalene, right? But we see her presence with Jesus throughout his ministry, and she's going to be a witness to the resurrection. Despite her dark and terrible past, she's not disqualified from following Jesus. She's brought into the kingdom, and she becomes a part of the work of the kingdom. And then we have Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. She also gets special mention. Now, Jesus might have focused on the poor, but the poor were not the only ones to follow. Joanna was a lady of the court. She was a person of status and worth. Uh, Chusa would have had considerable authority and power and influence. Notice who he's a steward for or a manager of. Herod. Herod is... The king, right? This is a person that has connections. This is a person who has wealth and status and influence, right? Uh, now, think about how, how marvelous this is, that you have a woman like Mary Magdalene who had seven demons hanging out with Joanna, who's from the royal court. This is the gospel to change lives and to bring people together that otherwise would have never come together. Uh, so... Uh, what did these two have in common? Jesus and what Jesus had done for them. Now, Sproul comments uh, that many commentators believe that Joanna was married to the nobleman whose son was healed by Jesus in John chapter 4. Uh, so some people make that connection. Uh, in John chapter 4, the nobleman's not named, so it's possible, but we don't know. Right? It's possible, but we don't know for sure. But they say perhaps this was who he was, uh, because then it would explain why he's allowing Joanna to follow Jesus, right? Because she can't be following Jesus without her husband be allowing it, right? This might be why he's allowing Joanna to follow Jesus, despite the fact that we know Herod is going to be the one who arrests and kills John the Baptist. And in Luke 13, we're going to see he's plotting to kill Jesus as well, right? So why would choose a lot? Well, somewhere Jesus has done something great for them. And so we see... So you see her following. Now, some scholars also make an argument for Joanna being the Junia of Romans 16. Uh, Craig Keener has like 100 pages. Uh, I remember uh, a few years ago when I did the sermon series on women in the Bible, he has a very profound, lengthy argument for the case that she might be the same woman based on, you know, in this day and age, remember Levi and Matthew is the same person. It wasn't uncommon to have multiple names in Greek, uh, Hebrew, uh, and depending on your position, perhaps even Latin, right? A Latin name. Uh, so once again, can't say for sure, just that some people have been making the case. 
point is, she's a person of status. Jesus has done something for her, and now she's ministering and providing out of her means. Then we get Susanna. Yep, that's as much as we know about Susanna. That's all we have, just her name, right? Just Susanna. Don't know anything else. And many others. Now, your guess is as good as mine on many others. Uh, here's all I can tell you about the many others is they're more females. And the reason why I know they're more females is because many others is in the feminine, right? And not like if I were to ever say, hey, you guys, right? And it's a mixed crowd. I, I mean it as a mixed term, right? Uh, because generally when you group, uh, refer to the group, you have to pick one or the other. Same was true in the Greek. And a mixed crowd, it would have used the masculine if there were men present. If it's using only the feminine, it means it's speaking of females, right? So when it says many others, we're talking about more female disciples who are likewise also nameless. Now, you might be thinking, why are you spending so much time going through this? Well, here's what I want you to understand. The face of the ministry might have been the 12 minus the 1 plus Paul. But the face of the ministry was dependent on the body the body of the ministry. You know, not everyone might be in the spotlight. There may be many who are serving in the background, but those people in the background also become the backbone. They're providing so that Jesus and the 12 can do what they do. We see these people that hardly even get a name mentioned, right? In some cases they don't, but they're providing the means for the ministry to go forward. Now, in these few verses, Luke gives us a template for discipleship, right? Touched by Jesus, we're to learn from him and use our resources to serve him out of gratitude and love for what he's done. Because the good news is not limited to what we're saved from. You know, so often we think about, well, the good news is I'm forgiven of my sins. Well, absolutely. But not only are you forgiven from your sins, you're saved for him. Not everyone might be among the 12, but we're all called into his mission. If you've answered the call of Jesus, then you've become part of the mission of God. Now, the Greek word where it says they provided out of their means, it's the same word that's elsewhere translated as deacon. It simply means to serve or to minister. That's what the term means, to serve or to minister. So here we don't see a breakdown of the roles, but we do see they're all connected to the mission and that some will be serving more up front, many more in the background, but everyone was vital to the work of ministry. Now, sometimes I'll, I'll hear somebody say, um, well, I'm blessed to have you as my pastor. Well, here's, here's the truth. I'm blessed to be your pastor because I could not do what I do apart from you. In the same way that you have the ladies here providing, right? I could not do what I do apart from you. I might be the face of network, but you're the backbone that makes everything possible. You're the backbone that makes it possible for me to devote time to prayer and to study so that I can get up here and teach and equip, right? I couldn't do it without you. Yeah, you, you, you can kind of get a feel that today's message is also tied into a congregational meeting, right? About who we are. We want disciples who spend time with Jesus so that they can live like Jesus. We have certain values, right? The ministry can only take shape and continue with the people who are here, right? Because I, I, I could not do it apart from you, right? They provided for them out of their means, out of their resources. Their support allowed Jesus and the 12 to do what they did. And this is a very biblical principle, right? We provide materially where we're blessed spiritually. Now, not everybody has the same means. 
whether we're talking about wealth or talent or time or position, the point is, is out of gratitude, they served as they were able. This is part of the good news of the kingdom of God. Not only are you saved through faith in Jesus, but Jesus has met you where you were and he's called you to something bigger than yourself. He's called you to be part of the kingdom of God. And if you've answered his call, then you've become a part of his mission. You know, each person has something to offer as we grow together in his grace to make a difference for him where we are. So whoever you are, whatever you've done, where there is repentance, God offers redemption, restoration, and we could say purpose, meaning, significance through faith in Jesus. So may we learn from him and in gratitude, love, follow, and serve him as we're not only recipients, as we're not only recipients, but we've become ministers of the good news of the kingdom of God. Amen. In your uh, bulletins, you have a communication card, and we invite you to uh, think about how God might be speaking to your heart this morning, and, and we invite you to offer that up as, as part of your worship um, as you follow him. As we uh, prepare ourselves for communion, um, you know, Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, uh, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. You know, I, I find that really interesting, isn't it, that that we preface uh, good news and repent and we put them together, right? Because the kingdom is not whatever we want it to be. It's good news because it's, because it's healing, right? It's correction. It's leading us in the right. It's bringing us back into walk with God. So he says, repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel does not affirm our sin, but it provides for its forgiveness so that we could walk differently and do differently than before. So whoever you are, whatever you've done, where there is repentance, God offers redemption and restoration through faith in Jesus. Your reconciliation to the Father is not dependent on what you do, but what Jesus has done through his life, his death, his resurrection, and that is indeed good news. It's good news that meets us where we are so that he can help us get where we need to be. And the proper understanding of that grace is once uh, when we've received him, then it leads us to serve him from our means because we're grateful and we love him for what he's done. So I want to remind you that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you'll proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let us pray. Oh, glorious Lord, as we come to this table, we indeed ask that you would make us mindful that the good news does indeed pertain to, to our salvation, that there's forgiveness for our sins, but we pray that you would also just widen our horizon and our perspective to realize it's so much more. It's not simply that we're forgiven, but it's also that we can walk in newness of life. It's also that we can be a part of your kingdom and that we can be given significance and purpose as we seek to live out our faith in the world around us, sharing the good news that we've also received. So as we come to this table, remind us that we are both recipients but also ministers of the good news of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Amen.
the gospel message to me is something that I have longed to hear all of my life that I always I always felt growing up that I was on the outside I was never one of the popular kids I I wanted so badly to be a part of that group of of girls that seemed like they were always having fun and that was not me <laughs> not me at all so when I found the message of a relationship in college and I and I found out that he wanted me to be a part of the work that he was doing that was it that was all I needed to know I'm like yeah sign me up I just I want to belong I want to belong to something so I am so grateful for that gospel message that he includes me in the work that he is doing and shows me his love day by day would you stand um, as we close with Glorious Day? We all have come from somewhere and are so happy that he has called us to be with him. my tomb till I
I'll, uh, I'll run to the back after the benediction in case there's anyone who can't stay. But for those who can, just give a little grace as somebody somewhere will throw out tables and get things set up for the lunch. It won't take much time, but I'll leave that to somebody else. I'll go be the face while the body does its work. All right. <laughs> and the 12 were with him and also some of the women who provided for them out of their means. May we go forth to learn of him and from him to serve him out of gratitude to him for the good news that he has brought to us. Amen.